I mean, we think about our church family. We think about how many people who are in and part of our church community. And we look around and we see a lot of empty seats. And that can be discouraging. And not only, the, not only those who are in our church, but those who are in our community. We see a lot of people having values and valuing things that the Lord does not value. This is the Lord's day. This is the Sabbath. We have to set it aside as holy unto the Lord. And yet many who claim Christ don't. You know, and that can be discouraging. David was discouraged here. He looked around and he said, where are the godly? The faithful have vanished among the children of man. That, that's, how he, that's how he felt. And I think sometimes that's how we feel. You know, I can imagine even this morning when thinking about Jesus, how Judas betrayed him. And even towards as we walk towards the cross, as we move towards Easter, how everyone ended up abandoning him. And he was left alone on the cross outside the city gate. Sometimes we're going to go that. We're going to feel alone. It happened at the end of Apostle Paul's life. He said, everyone has deserted me. Everyone has left me. You know, I think that when we, when we, under, when we read the Bible, we just have to be honest um, with what it says. And sometimes the Bible is very, very honest. David is saying, where are the godly? Lord, the faithful have vanished from the face of the earth. But then he, what does he say about those who are around? The reason why he says that the godly one and the faithful have vanished because he looks around and what does he see in verse 2? Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. It's the opposite of gossip. Gossip, you, you say to someone behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery is the opposite. You say, you say something to their face that you would never say behind their back. The people have a, a double heart. They say what they don't really mean. Because when you, when you use flattery and you have a double heart, what you're doing is you're trying to gain something for yourself. You tell people things because you think it's going to move you ahead, but you don't really mean it. It's not a pure heart. So it's a double heart. You say something, but inside you're not, you, don't really, you don't really mean it. The language of the scriptures, is, is how we speak is very important. <clears throat> Proverbs 29.5, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Proverbs 26.28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery is not good. We should not tell people things that are not true. Even if we want to be in an encouragement. You can use encouraging words, but you don't have to use false words. James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious, thinks he is a man of God, thinks he is righteous, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What's going around in the people of God in David's day, he looks around and he sees a, a people whose religion is worthless. They do not keep a tight rein on their tongue. It's interesting, when you see, when you see someone who's a flatterer and uses their words falsely, it's only magnified when there's many people doing that. 
when you have a whole community who's just uttering lies. You can't trust what anyone is going to say. You know, we, we, we've experienced that when, when someone hurts us, what do we expect? When we look at this person, this person hurts us with their words, what do we think? If I turn to this person, guess what? They're going to hurt me too. They're going to hurt me too. But imagine if that happened, where I was hurt by this person, I was hurt by this person, I was hurt by this person, I was hurt by this person with their words. Is there anyone who's going to tell me the truth? Is there anyone there who is righteous? Uh, Paul spoke of uh, the Cretans uh, to Titus. This is what he says in, in Titus chapter 1. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So what he, he kind of sees the connection there. There are some people who use words of flattery who tell people what they want to hear for gain, for shameful gain. Unfortunately, that's many, much of Christianity nowadays. They're going to tell you what they want, want, you, want you to hear, so what? So they can gain financially, right? Reputation. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So that's, that's, where, that's where Titus was going to. Titus was going to the island of Crete, and guess what? That whole community was, was known for being liars, lazy gluttons. And that's where God sent him to share the gospel. We even see this with Judas. You know, remember, Judas was a close friend of Jesus, and he, he probably gave Jesus many words of flattery. Even that kiss at the end, going in to give him a kiss is a sign of friendship, only to show that he was one who's going to be betrayed. But look at the, 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 the psalm turns in verse 3. The prayer goes up to the Lord. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? The prayer is that those who are flatterers should be cut off from the people of God. The tongue that makes great boasts. Go home, read James chapter 3. Right? Talks about the tongue being a restless evil, guiding and leading people where they are. And if we're just going to be honest, we all have a problem with the tongue. We probably all struggle sometimes saying things we wish we, we didn't, right? Not controlling our tongue. But when you give yourself repeatedly to that and have a whole community who's just using their tongue in an ungodly way, it is not going to be a good place to, to, to have fellowship. Not going to be a good representation of the Lord. But you see this, this, this language here, kind of the, 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 the language that is... is, is antithetical to the gospel. The gospel is about humility. The gospel is about lowering ourselves and exalting Christ. But what does is, what is the boastful tongue do? It exalts oneself. The tongue makes great boast. And this is one of the great boasts it says in verse 4. With our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? That's what the unrighteous, the wicked were saying. Who is master over us? You know, we are in charge of our own domain, right? We are the, 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 the king of our own castle. We can do what we want to do when we want to do it. We do not have to answer to anybody. That's really what happens when we use language 
um, that we don't think we'll have to be held accountable for. Jesus Christ says what? You'll be judged for every idle word you speak. Every idle word you speak. This is why, you know, as, as you have heard many times, God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? So we should listen more than we speak. But, you know, if you don't say anything, you will at least appear wise. He's a thoughtful man. He's a very thoughtful brother because he thinks. Right? He may not be thinking anything, but he's not speaking, which shows himself um, not to be foolish. Um, anyway, where was I? The tongue reveals our hearts and our trust. Uh, James writes in that third chapter, he says, For the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. How we speak reveals what's inside of us. And in that day, there was people who were revealing themselves to be against the Lord Christ. You know, if we just listened to what we said, maybe took, took an inventory of the things that we said throughout the week, we're going to get a good indication of how healthy we are spiritually. Are, what, what are the words that are coming out of our mouth? Are we building people up or are we tearing people down? We have to be very careful with how we speak because it reveals what we really believe. It reveals who we really trust. Sometimes we may say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. You are my Lord. You are my master. And yet when we live our lives, we say, who's master over us? I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. If you're there, you may be in danger. Well, not only do we see the wicked, the lying lips of the, the wicked, we see the pure words of the Lord. The pure words of the Lord. Look at verse 5. It says, because the poor are plundered and because the needy groan. We see this th throughout the scriptures. The Lord has a special heart for those who are oppressed. Even here, the poor and the needy are calling out to God. And what does it say? The Lord says, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. In, in Numbers chapter 10, Moses says when they were going against their enemies, wandering in the wilderness, when they're going against their enemies, he says every time they went out with the Ark of the Covenant, they would say, Arise, O Lord. That was the, that was the call sign that the Lord was going to give them victory in battle. This is what the Lord is saying here. All we see, Lord, around us is people who are lying, using flattering, rip, flattering lips, boasting that they don't have to answer to anybody. And the Lord says, I will arise. I will. Can I just tell you, I love the I wills of the Lord. The Lord makes much promises. Even in our day, the, the Jesus Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's an I will. When the Lord says I will, it's, it's as good as done. It's going to happen. Now we can look with human eyes and we can say, man, this, this does not look good. So you know what happens when the people of God look around and things are not looking good? We get on our knees and we call out to God, Save, O Lord! You see what the, the, the poor and the needy did? They groaned. They begged God to come. Unless the people of God fall before the face of the Lord and seek Him in prayer, 
we will not experience the kind of life, the kind of growth the Lord wants. Even before I, 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 uh, I came out of my office tonight, I just sat there praying and just convicted that I don't pray enough for you, I don't pray enough for God's kingdom to advance. If we don't pray, if the Holy Spirit does not come alongside of us, we will not grow. See the difference here between the words of the wicked and the words of the Lord. Verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You see that, that language, purity? When God speaks, God speaks a pure word. It is refined in the fire. Not to say that it, it needs to be refined, but it's that, it's that picture. It's pure, right? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Even in the verse I read this, this morning, both our scripture reading, and I mentioned it again in Psalm 50, or Isaiah 53, what does it say about the Lord? No deceit was in his mouth. The Lord spoke nothing wrong. It's pure. Listen to Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired of they than gold and even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There's a, a stark difference between the, the lying lips of the wicked and the pure words of the Lord. Now, who are we called to, to follow? We're not called to follow the way of the wicked. We are called to follow the pure words of the Lord. We should use our tongues, use our mouths to build others up, to encourage one another as long as the day is approaching. Well, the last thing we see here is the sustaining power of the Lord, the sustaining power of the Lord. Look at verse 7. It says, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Just interesting last two, two verses. You see an encouraging verse in verse 7, then you kind of see a Kind of a, a, a kind of a bad way almost to end a psalm. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. I mean, how many times do we see that in our day? We look around at what's happening in our culture and we just see vileness exalted, right? We see shows and movies like Fifty Shades of Grey that are blowing up the box office that is just vileness exalted as something that is good, and it is not. Turn on the television, everything you see is vile. There's not much going on that we see in our popular culture that is, um, that is right and pure and good and noble. It says on every side, the wicked prowl. That same prowling language that as, as we see in, in, in uh, 1 Peter 5. The adversary, the devil, is like a rowing lion prowling, right? waiting for someone to devour. That's the, that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in America. Right? There's a lot of great things about our culture. There's a lot of great things about our, our land, the democracy, the history that we have. And yet we look around and we see vileness just kind of exalted in our, in our day. But what does the Lord say? 
I will keep you. I will guard you from this generation forever. You notice he doesn't say, I'm going to remove you from this generation. (laughs) He doesn't say, I'm going to change the generation around you. He says, I will sustain you in the midst of this generation. We are called to be a different kind of community. The world around us will probably continue to get worse. As our nation continues to reject God, the nation around us will probably continue to get worse. It probably won't get better. Unless the Lord comes back, it probably won't get better. And yet, in the midst of that, what does the Lord say? I will keep you. I will guard you from this generation forever. The Lord will always guard the godly. We are not alone. He will always keep a, a, a people for himself. Do you remember when uh, 1 Kings 18, when Elijah was on the mountain, Mount Carmel, and he, 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 was, he was praying to the Lord, and he thought he was all alone. And he looked at him and he says, I have 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Or even Paul, when he's praying in Corinth, and he can't get the gospel going forth, and he says, stay in this city. I have many in this city who are my people. There will always be a remnant. That is the promise of the Lord God. He will build his church. He will. He will save. This is why Wade sung the song that he sang. What do we do? Preachers keep preaching. Singers keep singing. Laymen keep sharing that Jesus is the king. That's what we do. Why? Because we're going to save one. Then we're going to save two. Then we're going to save three. We are going to help people move from darkness to light, from death to life, through the preaching of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not give up because God will save. God will guard us in the midst of this generation, helping us pull people from the fiery pits of hell. And how does he do it? How does he go in to sustain us? Well, if you have your, you have your Bibles, so turn to uh, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Let me just make one last point, and then we can head home. 2 Timothy 3. Uh, Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's kind of, this is his last letter. He's, ready, he's writing from prison, writing to his beloved son, Timothy, in the faith. And he says this in verse 3. He says, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Beloved, we are in the last days. We are in the last days. And it says, when the last days come, there will be times of difficulty. Verse 2, for people... I mean, just here, see if you, 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 you read our culture here. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Go home, read that list again, and then look around our culture. That's what you see. That's our nation. But should we be surprised? The Lord said it was going to happen in his word. And this is not just in in America. 
This is all over the world. This is all over the world. You know, Satan is a liar. And he's an accuser. So what does he try to do? He tries to make people love themselves more than God. He tries to make them love money more than God. He tries to, to make them proud, arrogant, and abusive, just like we see in Psalm chapter 12. Then we go to verse 10. Paul says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Same promise, right? The Lord rescued me, guarded me in the midst of these trials. Verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, I want you to see how he makes this connection. Okay, People are, are, are going crazy. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, denying God's power. You know, you're going, to pers- you're going to be persecuted for holding fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, then he kind of turns it in verse 14 through 16 and says, this is going to sustain you in the midst of an ungodly generation. What does it say? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How will the Lord sustain his people? He will sustain his people through his word. The Lord has always planned that he will sustain his people through his words. Not the lying lips of the wicked, but the pure, righteous words of the Lord. That's how he will sustain his people. So why do we preach the word? Why do we want everything that we do to be word-saturated? Because the generation around us is going farther and farther from God, and the only way we're going to be uh, strengthened and be sustained is if we hold on to the pure words of the Lord so that you can be equipped for every good work in the midst of this crooked and evil, perverse generation. Look at the next line, verse 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's the calling of leaders in the church. We preach the word. You know what's the calling of the people of God? Hear the word. Hear the word. I think I said it a few weeks ago, but notice how many times in the scripture... It doesn't say read the word, does it? It doesn't say read the word. What does it usually say? Hear the word. There's something very different when we're at home opening our Bibles and reading the word versus being among God's people and the word is declared and the people of God take it in. When I, when I climb, when, we, when, a, when a pastor gets behind the pulpit like this, what we're doing is we're speaking in the place of God. We are announcing and declaring the word. God is speaking People listen. That's a sign of submission to the Word. This is why we bank everything upon the Word of God to equip us, to sustain us in the midst of this crooked generation. So what do we do? Preachers keep preaching. Singers keep singing. And laymen keep sharing 
the sweet gospel of the king in the midst of this generation. And God will say, God will sustain, and God will get all the glory. Let's pray. Father, help us persevere. Guard the godly. Help us understand that we are not alone, that you have promised that you will keep us in this crooked generation. And yet, God, we, we ask that you allow us to keep preaching, keep singing, keep sharing, that one and two and three would come to know you and love you and cross over from death to life. Do it for their good, for our good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.